This is a uh, sermon on what it is to be an elder. What is an elder or pastor? Uh, those are the same thing. So I'm going to pray and then we will we'll be in the t- uh, text today. It'll take me a couple, couple minutes to get into the text. Um, but there's six big questions that we're going to look at, or really six notes on eldership. Five are questions. The last is a closing challenge. Um, some of these answers in regard to these six will be short, and some of them will be long. The longer pieces will not be on the screen, um, so I just want you to kind of follow along and listen. So let me pray, and then we'll, <clears throat> we'll start. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for uh, its goodness to us. We thank you that it addresses gospel big picture issues and um, even church polity, which are still big picture but can certainly be considered smaller. Um, It tells us how to have the offices in the church rightly arranged. And so we we pray for this morning that while this is a certainly a text on biblical eldership, that the gospel would still be clear, that the applications would still be absolutely present to every single one of us, not just the pastor's. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit to come now and teach us and transform us and lead us all into righteousness. I pray for anyone here that doesn't know Christ, that even that they would hear the gospel clearly in today's sermon and be saved. And for those that are believers, they would be thoroughly encouraged and equipped to live out and persevere in the faith of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So biblically, there are two offices in the church. Every church should be governed or over, overseen by two offices, elders and deacons. There are other positions, if you will, in churches um, like ours, worship leader, kids director, etc. Um, those aren't unbiblical. Those just, those just aren't um, a part of the two offices in the church. There are only two offices, and they are elders and deacons. Elders can, is also synonymous with pastors. It's the same word. There's many words in the Greek that kind of all are synonyms for this term elder. And so today, Joe will be installed as an elder, uh, ordained and installed as an elder slash pastor, which means at Remedy Church, we want to have multiple elders and then also multiple deacons. And there's a there's a distinct difference between the two. If you grew up in a Southern Baptist church, it's what, it's what I grew up in. It had a single pastor and a deacon board. Um, and generally, the deacon board uh, kind of was a hybrid of elders and deacons. They served, but they also made major church decisions. Um, and that's actually, I will argue, I don't think the way the Bible sets up church polity. Um, I think it sets it up for elders, multiple elders uh, or pastors and deacons. And deacon diakonos just means servant and those particular guys and girls for us are are servants and they can in in our position that deacons can be girls but elders pastors are only men they're only the and their job is not to serve but their job is to preach the word lead the church Um, and so that's what we're going to be looking at today so today there'll be six notes on biblical eldership i think it just says six notes on eldership but six notes on biblical eldership the questions that we'll look at are uh, what's an elder, which I've already kind of talked about. What do elders do? What, what, if we know who the, what they are, then what do they do? Who are the elders in the church? What's required to be an elder? And then how do they elder? I'm going to take that verb, that noun, and turn it into a verb. And it just means overseer, or shepherd. How do they do that? And then we'll close with some challenges. I want to, I want to say this before we get started. Um, <clears throat> while it might seem that this particular sermon is really then, since it's on pastors or elders, and we have two and we're installing a third one today, this sermon is really just for three people. It's not. Um, 
I want you to, as we're looking at these things, there's characteristics, there's, there's qualifications, there's lots of things that we'll talk about in the life of an elder that needs to be present. And I'm just going to say um, from the beginning, all of these things should be present in your life. Whether you ever become an elder, um, even for you ladies, these things should be present in your life. These are good things to have in your life because you're a Christian, because you love Jesus. And so first thing is, as we look at all these things and as we talk about all these things, whether you're an elder or not, you should strive for these things. Uh, And the second thing I want you to apply is uh, I want you to pray for the elders. I want you to write it down as an application that you'll pray for the elders or pastors in the church and prospective future elders. So we have three right now. We might have more in the future. We want you to make an application that you'll pray for them as well. Uh, church polity, you keep hearing me say, um, with a T, polity, and this is just uh, a fancy church way to say church government, um, which we have as elders and deacons. Church polity, when it comes into theological issues, is not necessarily a primary issue. A primary issue would be the gospel. Um, How does one get saved? What is the good news of Jesus? Uh, But church polity is still important. The gospel is not at stake when we need to understand church polity, but it still is an important issue. Uh, So let me explain the gospel before we go into into, uh, this particular text and, and talking about elders. For those of you that might be new to church, for those of you that have been in church a long time, the message you're about to hear in regard to the gospel is absolutely essential uh, for you to hear, whether you've been saved for 20 years or 50 years or never heard the gospel and never been saved ever. The good news is that every one of us are born depraved, wicked sinners. There is no, if you look at Luke 7, there's just a story I was teaching this week. There's a story where um, this man, Simon, kind of thought that he had only kind of sinned about 50 denarii worth, but the, the woman that was caught, and or not caught in adultery, but that was probably a prostitute, was clearly she knew that she had sinned 50, 500 denarii, and Jesus tells this little story, which one who, who has a certain money lender owes, and whichever one... He, he, he goes ahead and cancels them both. Which one's going to appreciate it more? If, I, if one guy owes me $50, if one guy owes me $500, and the money lender cancels both, which one's going to appreciate it more? And he says, well, certainly the one that had the 500 And the whole point of the story is to realize, and when it comes to sin, a lot of us easily will kind of think, well, I've never done anything bad, so the sin that I have kind of, if you will, accrued in my life is no big deal But that guy over there, he has lots of sin. And Jesus makes this pointed statement at the end. He who has forgiven little loves little. He who has forgiven much loves much. And the whole point of that story is every one of us, just like that lady, have sinned much. Every one of us. And we all need to realize that. And once we have been forgiven of that, we'll love Christ much. So the good news is that we need forgiveness. Absolute forgiveness. And it's only made through one way. By Christ being willing to come and die the perfect death for us on the cross. And if we put our faith and we put our trust in him dying the death for us, taking all the punishment and all the penalty that we rightly deserved, and therefore all of his holiness, all of his purity, all of his righteousness is then appointed to us, the great transaction happens where he takes our sin, we get his righteousness, and now for those that put their faith and only trust in that, it's not you trust in that to be saved, and then after that, now I've got to buckle down and try real hard so I'll stay in good God's good graces. In order to persevere in the faith, in order to, if you will, be sanctified in the faith, it's always a return to trusting presently in Christ's work. That's, that's what it means to be saved. So perseverance in the faith is not so much about 
you, you making sure you do good works. Perseverance in the faith is always returning to, do I continually trust in Christ's work on the cross for my salvation? That's the good news. And for those that believe and trust in that, they will be saved forever. They will be with Jesus. I don't like to say in heaven. I like to say with Jesus because there's a distinction that we think the place is the great thing. And that's not the great thing. The great thing is Jesus. And it's great because Jesus is there. And so that's the good news of the gospel. So that's, that's a primary issue. Church polity, how the church arranges itself and tries to make that gospel spread while it's not necessarily... Um, the gospel's not at stake at it. It's still important. So we're going to talk about church polity, the way that we organize the church leadership-wise, because if we do, I think that biblically, it equips the church well in order to take that message and effectively communicate it, not to just our city, but to the entire world. So it is important. It is important. So what is an elder? What is an elder? An elder is a pastor. The elder pastors here right now are Jack and I. Um, they shepherd, they lovingly oversee. I know none of you are shepherds, and so you might not know what that means. Um, it means to lovingly oversee the church. We do that by protecting, by protecting you. Um, in a lot of ways, that's protecting you when we care for you, but that's also protecting you from, from bad doctrine, from evil influences that might come in and try to sway you away from what the truth of the Bible is. Also by teaching you so effectively, if we can, by the, by the power of the Spirit, teach you the scriptures each week, which is why we teach through books of the Bible. We believe the best thing that we can do is take the Bible um, and believe in its absolute sufficiency and teach you verse by verse through books of the Bible so that you get more of this and you understand this and less of my thoughts on a particular topic. We do that some, but the best thing that we can do is teach you the Bible. Uh, 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 a shepherd also lovingly oversees through leading, managing, and caring for all the practical needs of Jesus' people. These are not our people. You are not my people. You are not Jack's people, nor will you be Joe's people. You're Jesus' people. He's the chief shepherd, and we are the under-shepherds, and we, our job is to love and care for you um, as Christ directs us. An elder <clears throat> is not a member of a council or a board that kind of weighs in on church financial decisions or plans. He might do those things, but that is not his main job. His main job is, an elder, is to protect, teach, lead, manage, and care for the practical needs of Jesus' people. Um, I can remember having a conversation with Jack after four years ago, whenever he was ordained, or ordained, sorry, installed into uh, eldership here at Remedy. I can remember having a conversation with him after I preached a, a similar sermon to this and him saying, you know, <clears throat> I've always held high the office of pastor but the weight of it after the installation service, the weight sit, of sitting through the service and being was kind of, he always knew it, was kind of put on his shoulders. And as he heard all the things that were said, and as he just thought about what God was doing in his life, the weight of being a pastor, it's not a small weight. It's not, it's not a weight for the shoulders of a child. It's, the, it's a weight for someone who trusts in Christ completely and is willing to um, look to him always and only try to live in, in his power. So that's an elder. That's what an elder is. What does an elder do? I've talked about some of those things, and I want to, I want to uh, give you a few verses all over of what an elder does. The first thing an elder does is protects the church from moral and heretical wolves. This is just a term that's used in the Bible, but in the book of Acts, chapter 20, if you want to, you can turn there. Um, but <clears throat> as I said, the main text will be in our, our 1 Timothy 3 and 1 Peter 5. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says... 
Be careful to yourselves and to all the flock. This is Paul talking to uh, a group of elders. Uh, Luke's recording it. And it says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That word is, is pastors, elders. To care for the church of God in which he obtained with his, with his own blood. I know that after my departure, after Paul leaves, here it is. Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking twisted things to draw the disciples after them. <clears throat> and then he says, therefore be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish you with tears. There's the alarm. We don't have a fire. It's fine. So the first thing that an elder does is this, is he protects the church from moral and heretical wolves. Those that try to draw the church away morally to do incorrect things or with heresy, with things that don't align with the Bible. So what an elder does is when he sees those things, when those things are made known to him, he takes the primary responsibility, he takes the initiative to go to that particular person that's causing that and telling them that they need to stop or they need to go in order to protect you and keep you um, morally walking with Christ and heretically, not, not walking into what would be heretical thoughts. The next thing that, that the pastor does is he feeds the church with sound biblical doctrine. You can see that in Acts 20, 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God is, is in my opinion, uh, and I think it's rightly my opinion, or else it wouldn't be, anyway, um, is the entire Bible. So my goal in my lifetime is to preach the entire Bible. I want to take book by book, and, and I, want, I don't want to do the same books over and over, and by the end of my life, I want to have taught you the entire Bible. I don't want to shrink from teaching you what would be the whole counsel of God. So it's going to cause me to teach hard texts. When we talked through First Timothy, and we got to chapter 2, and it says, I don't permit women to teach or exercise authority over man, and you hear that, and you're like, well, what does that mean? That's a hard text. That's not something I wanted to wake up this morning and have to, have to address. Um, it causes me, when you teach through books of the Bible, to teach the hard text. I'm not going to explain that right now. You have to go back and find that, that sermon on iTunes. Um, but it does cause Jack and I to teach you sound biblical doctrine. We, we, don't, we don't run away from hard texts. If we choose through the Bible and we come up to it, we got to teach it. We read it out loud. There it is. I can't act like it wasn't there. And so it's good for you. And it, it's our belief, it's our belief that people that go to church want to understand the Bible. They want to. They, they, all Christians want to know the, what the Bible says. And so <clears throat> it's our job to go through the books of the Bible and teach you these things. Um, in Titus 1, 9, I'm sorry, in Acts 20, 27, as it said, he, I didn't shrink from, from declaring you the whole counsel of God. Um, in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, Paul charges Timothy and says, I charge you in the presence of Christ Jesus, who is judged, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing to the kingdom, preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. So it's, it's the elder's job to preach it, whether it's popular texts or unpopular texts. Our job is to teach the church. The next one is to disciple the, or discipline the church in a labor of love. Um, we don't have tons of time to go to it, but Matthew 18, there's, uh, if someone is caught in sin, Matthew 18, 15, one brother goes to him and tries to win him back. Matthew 18, 16, if they're not one, the whole goal is reconciliation. Then two or more brothers go. And there's no, there's no given time period that could be, who knows, but in, in the, verse 17, if they're still willfully obstinate, walking in sin with no desire to repent whatsoever, it says, tell it to the church. 
which means that's when the elders would discipline the church in a labor of love. It's, it's, it's the same way that I discipline my children in a lot of ways. I don't want to. I don't like it. And with tears in my eyes, I would have to do it. It's, but it's not a desire of mine. And in the same way, if someone has not been reconciled, has not repented, willfully wants to continue in sin, then the elders are the ones that would do that. The next one is manage and rule over the church. First uh, Timothy 3 says he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive for someone does not know how to manage his own household, how he care for God's church. This is the idea that the the pastor, what does he do? He also kind of looks over and manages and rules the church, leads. Jesus rules the church, but as under shepherds, we still do as well. We attend to the practical needs of the church. James 5 says that if someone's sick, uh, they call for the elders and the elders come and they pray over them. So this is just the practical needs. Whenever people have real needs for care, the elders are the ones that are called. And then lastly, in uh, Ephesians, another thing that an elder does with you, but we equip the saints for the work of ministry. In Ephesians 4, it says, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers um, to equip the saints for work of ministry to build up the body of Christ, which means if we want people to get saved in this city, the primary way should not be, the primary way should not be you saying, I really want someone to get saved. I'm not going to lead them to Christ. I need to take them to the pastor so that they can lead them. That's not the primary way it should happen. The primary way it should happen is that Jack and I and Joe will equip you, as it says, equip you for the work of the ministry, which means we are just like you in the congregation as well. And all of us who have unsaved friends would try to leave them. So our primary job is to equip you so that you can do the work of the ministry and we want to do it with you. So those are some of the things that elders do. Who are the elders? Who are the elders? As I've already kind of hinted to, overseers, uh, in the Greek, there's episkopos, presbyteros, all these terms, they're all synonymous, uh, depending on which letter you're looking at or which book you're looking at, and it all means pastor. So um, whenever elders make decisions, it isn't like since I started the church and I'm the main teaching pastor that I get like two or three votes and then Joe and Jack, you know, each get one, and so we, we make decisions by like five. That's not what it means. In this, in this um, bib- I think, biblical setup is I'm a, I'm, an, I'm, I'm a pastor, Jack's a pastor, Joe will be a pastor, and all three of us will have equal say, equal vote. I am now in the minority, so I cannot do anything without the two of them also approving it. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. I don't want to have that kind of authority. I had it for the first three years of the church, and praise the Lord, Jack came pretty quickly after that. Uh, Jack's been a pastor elder here for four years and has, it has been a blessing from God for him to be able to balance me out and keep my mind focused. And now with Joe, I'm in the minority and anything that's going to happen has to be because all three of us are agreeing to it. Um, Three men, hopefully, by, by the Lord's power that will be seeking Christ, seeking the Lord's will in his life, filled with the Spirit, trying to lead the church well in order that we can reach the city. And so who are the elders? They, they are the pastors of the church. So if there's a wedding, if there's a funeral, if there's a need, if either one of those guys show up and I don't, you're getting the exact same thing. There is no difference between me and Jack and Joe. That's the kind of point I'm trying to make. I, I know that in, in the older church, you would say it's not really a visit from the pastor unless the guy that talks the most on Sunday is there. That's not the case, biblically. The elders are the pastors and they're all the same. So if I'm there or if Jack's there or if Joe's there, 
the pastors are there. The, you have a pastor of the church. Um, it's not the staff, although we do have staff, and one day there could be a staff that is a pastor. There is one. That's me. But we might have other pastors. And so Jordan's our worship leader. If Jordan, let's say, you know, 10 years from now or who knows, five years, um, Jordan becomes a, a, an elder. His title would change from worship leader to worship pastor, and he would be a pastor uh, of the church. But right now, there was going to be, there's, there's going to be three. What is it, what's required to be an elder? So if you've been waiting for 1 Timothy 3, you're like, finally, we're getting to it. Here we are at 1 Timothy 3. What is required? Now, um, these are the qualifications of, of what it means to be an elder. If you look at 1 Timothy 3, I want to make sure that you can see uh, a statement I made at the beginning of the service that there are two offices and only two offices in the church. It's right here in 1 Timothy 3. If you look at verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the, there it is, office of overseer. He desires a noble task. So that's the first office. If you skip down to verse 8, you can see deacons likewise must not be. That's the second office. So all churches must have these two offices for their ecclesiology, that means their, their doctrine of the church, to be appropriate. I know that there are some that don't. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily, you know, not a church. I still think they are a church. They just should have these things. All churches to be biblically um, aligned with church polity should have elders and deacons. Other things, again, I'm fine with. But they should have those two. We are going to be looking at just as verses 1 through 7, qualifications for elders. Um, we do have deacons now. We just saw them a few weeks back. We have seven deacons, and we're super excited to have them. It took a while, but we do have them now. Um, now, in verses uh, 1 through 7 of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, it gives qualifications for the office of elder. And in Titus chapter 1, also a letter written by Paul to another pastor. It also gives qualifications for elders. And you can see that in chapter 1, starting at verse 5. So what I've done is I've just kind of put them all together. Um, there's 21 total in both chapters. And I'm going to briefly kind of touch on some of them. I won't go through them quickly. But I think it's important for you to know what's required to be an elder. So that in, in you know, 20 more minutes or so, whenever Joe's up here and Jack is challenging him uh, or, or asking him, will you covenant to do these things? And as Jack's doing that, you'll hear the language of these 21 qualifications in that challenge. You'll, you'll say, oh, that's where those ideas are coming from. They're coming straight from the Bible. Whenever he says, are you going to be a man that is above reproach? Are you going to be a man that loves his wife only? Like when you hear those things, they're all coming straight from the text. So um, I want to, <clears throat> I want to, point you to chapter one verse chapter three verse one and before we do that uh let me just reiterate to you i know that this is a text on elders but every single one of you even the children whenever you hear these things listed these are things that every single one of you should strive for in your life because you're a christian there's not these aren't exclusive to elders and you don't have to worry about it uh, the idea of being hospitable or raising your children to love the Lord or being a one-woman man, these things are all biblical things that every single one of us sh should strive for. Um, also, I want to point to one other thing. Look at this. This thing is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of elder. Um, I want you to notice the way that the Bible is written in verse 1 to the men. Aspire. So it's not... Um, Try to do good in the church, be a good guy, and if you are, the elders 
come to you and say, hey, you know what? I've been watching you for a few years and I think that you should be an elder. No, no, no. It's the, the onus of the responsibility is put onto the men to say, men in the church, live in such a way that Christ is your all and aspire to be an elder. Every man that's in this church should aspire to be an elder. You might not become one, but you should aspire to the office of elder. Every single man in this church should. Um, now, if this saying is trustworthy, if anyone aspires to the office of elder or overseer, he, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be, here it is, above reproach. That's the first term. Above reproach means that if anyone were to bring any kind of charge to you and they threw it at you, it wouldn't stick. This is a this first qualification along with the rest, this first one is kind of the, uh, the big, huge junk drawer uh, qualification, and then the rest are more specific. If you don't know what a junk drawer is, um, well, we just moved, but all you would have to do is go to this drawer right below my coffee pot and open it up, and you would see what a junk drawer is. It's got pins and tape and, you know, pliers and who knows. It's just filled with all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Every one of you maybe, like, ha- have one of these junk drawer uh, at your house, they drive me insane, and I try not to use it as much as I can. Um, but this, that's what this is really, this above reproach is kind of the, the junk drawer qualification saying, and, and all the things that can happen, that if anyone were to try to accuse the elder of any of these things, none of those things would ever apply. They would never stick. None of these charges would ever stick. So the first thing is that he must be um, above reproach. Calvin says he must <clears throat> not be marked by any infamy that would lessen his authority. So he has to be a kind of man that is above reproach. As Baxter also says, this is, uh, Richard Baxter was a, a Puritan that lived in the, I think it was the 16th century, 17th century, uh, and he wrote a book called Reformed Pastor. Not that he's reformed in his theology, but that he was literally reformed following Jesus. Um, he said this, how can you, I know this is to pastors, but I want everyone to take this to heart. Parents, think of this as, as your relationship with children. How can you Follow sinners, so if those that want to win souls, follow sinners with compassion in your hearts and tears in your eyes and beseech them in the name of the Lord Jesus to stop your course, return and live for Jesus and never had so much compassion on your own soul as to do this much for yourself. In other words, if you're going to call people towards Christ, you need to be following Christ as well with everything you can. So the first one is that he's above reproach. The second one is husband of one wife is what it says in there. Um, in the Greek, husband can also be translated man. In the Greek, wife can also be translated woman. So according to the context, you're either going to use husband or wife or man or woman. Uh, this can also be understood as one woman man. Uh, th- there's a lot of different ways that this has been interpreted. From uh, he's not allowed to have multiple wives. It's a, it's a charge against polygamy to... He can only have kind of, he needs to be a one woman man. The, the wife that he's married to is the one that he needs to love and serve and care for. Um, to, he can be a one woman man. He can only be married once and he, can, has to, he has to stay married to her and could have never been divorced. The, there's a lot of really, really smart people that go all over the place that are godly, godly people. Um, and so the way that we have structured this because of that is that Jack and I and now Joe we'll have to take a case-by-case scenario on understanding this qualification when it comes to Remedy Church. Um, That's husband of one wife. Certainly, if you have questions, follow up with us later. Sober-minded is the next one, 1 Timothy 3.2. That just means temperate or moderate. They're self-controlled. They're not 
uh, enslaved to things. They're free from excesses. They have a balanced judgment. Uh, self-controlled is the next one that was sober-minded. The next one is self-controlled. They're not hot-headed. They're sensible. They're wise. They're balanced in the judgment. They're not quick. They don't have superficial decisions based on immature thinking. Respectable is the next one. Elders demonstrate a well-ordered life and good behavior. The next one is hospitable. Um, this means literally loving strangers. Expository, expositor's commentary says that this literally means loving strangers. Uh, this doesn't mean that he's good at making dinner. <laughs> this means that he's hospitable. Like he wants to see people that are strangers uh, be welcomed. And if they don't know Christ, loved into the kingdom. Um, this was a certainly a, a requirement in the first century where a lot of people would travel and they would come into cities. The elders would be the ones that would, it would be fitting for them to invite them into the house and take care of them. Um, the next one is able to teach sound doctrine. If you look at the qualifications of uh, elders and you look at the qualifications of deacons, one of the major distinctions between the two is this, able to teach sound doctrine. Deacons are not required to be able to teach. Um, while it's good that they can, they're not required to be able to teach in order to fulfill that office. They need to be able to serve. But here um, in 1 Timothy 3, for elders, elders need to be able to teach sound doctrine. It doesn't necessarily mean that they'll be a Sunday morning preacher. It means that they need to be able to, to teach the gospel effectively in any kind of context, whether it be small groups or larger groups. But it's the, as I said, this is the key qualification that makes a distinction from that of deacons. How does an elder teach the church then? He preaches the word as we saw in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and he doesn't shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God as we saw in Acts 20. So he's able to teach sound doctrine. The next one is that he's not a drunkard. Uh, Otis should never be an elder. Andy Griffith, no, just one person. Good, I'm glad to know you're with me. Uh, Otis should never be, you need to go get Netflix and look at Andy Griffith and you'll know who Otis is. But he needs to be free from addictions. Um, If elders become drunk, they, they, are not, um, they are not suitable to be an elder. They're not suitable to be an elder if they are drunk. Um, next one is not violent but gentle. Elders must be gentle. They need to have patience or forbearance with people. They need to have tenderness and not a quick temper. They shouldn't have a violent nature. They're not quarrelsome. Elders are not given to quarreling or selfish argumentation. They're able to constrain themselves when their discussions come up where there might be a disagreement. They understand, I don't have to win this argument. I can just be loving here and just walk away from it. Uh, they're not quarrelsome. There are times where pastors need to protect the church and need to have a full discussion through. But even while they do that, they need to represent Christ well. Uh, the next one is not a lover of money. Elders must not be stingy or greedy. They must not be out for sordid gain. Um, Calvin says, he who wishes to become rich wishes also to become rich soon. This man will be a covetous person and he'll be given over to dishonest gain. Um, Here at Remedy, the pastor elders um, should not be lovers of money. They should be givers. And we actually do look at, I don't look at amounts, but we do look at giving patterns. We do see that our elders and our deacons, um, if you're going to be an elder or deacon office of the church, uh, then we do, I do look to see if you do give. You have a continual giving pattern. I don't look at the amounts, but I do want to know that you're meeting this qualification. Um, and so we, we wouldn't have put up Joe as, an, as a prospective elder, and Jack and I wouldn't be elders as well if this wasn't the pattern of what's going on. Uh, the next one is manage household well. Uh, it's really simple. If you're going to pastor your, your little family well, then that's a good example to say that you can pastor God's family well. If you can't pastor 
your little family well, and I know you're thinking, Fudd, your, your family's huge. Um, <laughs> it's still little compared to the whole church. Even Jack, I mean, he's got a lot over there, right? Um, that's still little compared to the church. And so a good indication is if he is able to pastor his, his family well, lead his children well, um, that they're respectable and that he's teaching them the word of God faithfully, then the larger family, he should be able to do that well. If, if, a pa- if, if a prospective elder can't lead his family well, it's a good indication that the larger family would even be more difficult for him to lead. That's what we're talking about with managed household well. Children are submissive, etc. Um, there shouldn't be a recent convert. Uh, it, it should not be someone that's a recent convert because it would lead to pride pretty quickly. So elders must not be new believers. They must be Christians for a, for a long enough time to demonstrate the reality of their conversion and the depth of, of their walk with Jesus and their, their um, walk to be on mission, their pursuit of making disciples and living out the Great Commission. The next one is thought of well by outsiders. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, 7, elders must be respectable, respected by unbelievers and free from hypocrisy. Uh, the best way I can describe this is if we were to go to someone who's an elder's job, let's say they have a, a job that's not in the church, and we were to go to their coworkers and, they, and we would say, hey, you know what? This particular guy right here, he's going to be a pastor elder at our church. They would say, well, I didn't know that, but that makes sense. That does make sense. They, they wouldn't say, oh, well, did you know that he fill in the blank of some really awful, immoral thing. They wouldn't say that. They would say, that makes sense of me. He's thought of well by outsiders. Um, The next one, if we move over to Titus, there's some that will be in Titus here. He's not arrogant. They're not stubborn or insensitive. They're not forced. They're not prone to force their opinions on people. The next ones are not quick tempered. They have self-control and patience. They're a lover of good. They desire the will of God to be done in every single situation. They're upright. They're fair. They're impartial. Their judgments pass through scriptural principles, if you will. Um, they're holy. They, they're reverent people. They continually try to seek to kill sin in their life. They're disciplined. <clears throat> they live disciplined and orderly lives. They're not ruled by addi- addictions. Um, they, they pray. They read the Bible. They memorize the Bible. They're, they're generous to people. And they hold firm to the trustworthy word. They have a continual belief in the gospel. They're stable and steadfast in their faith. Now, I want to be sure. That's 21 things. That's a lot. None of those say they're not sinners. So I don't want you to think that elders aren't sinners. I, Jack, Joe, are all sinners, absolutely dependent upon the gospel every single day, just like you. I need Jesus's blood to be applied to my life every single day, just like you do. However, there is certainly a distinct way that we are supposed to live our lives. Um, One of the things that we should also be having in our lives is that we should be disciple makers. So elders need to be strong in their theology, but just because they're strong in their theology um, and they're living out these things uh, doesn't necessarily mean that they'll become an elder. They also need to be on mission, um, leading the church and on mission themselves. So those are some of the things of answering the big picture question, what's required to be an elder um, in the Bible and even here at Remedy. The next one is, how do they elder? So in 1 Peter chapter 5, there's a little bit of explanation of if they're going to be an elder, if they're going to oversee, how should they do that? What, what should it look like? Um, if you look through at 1 Peter 5, it says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker of the glory that is, <clears throat> that is going to be revealed, shepherd 
the flock of God that is among you. So we're, we're commanded to do that. We can see in verse 4 when the chief shepherd appears. So Jesus is the senior pastor, if you will, of the church. And we are the, the under shepherds seeking to live out faithfully to lead this particular church that he's charged us with. Um, so how are we supposed to, as it says, to shepherd the flock of God, God that is among you? Um, you can see it says to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those, but in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So um, what do the elders do and how should we, how should we elder shepherd? Um, what the elders do, first we see is that we shepherd. This is the, the word poimen. Um, this is a verb uh, for the word pastor. So when the Bible talks about uh, elders pastor a church, they're using the word they shepherd the church. They guard, they lead, they love the church, and they seek to take them, to grow them and making disciples. So <clears throat> whenever there's, since they're the shepherd, if there's a hundred and there's one that is gone, they would go after the one for the sake. They would always love that one and bring them back. It would break our heart when that happens, but we shepherd the church. We, we love every single person in the church. We, we also exercise oversight. This means that we govern or we lead. We lead the church and we direct it. Now, as I said, Jesus is the chief shepherd of the church and we're the under shepherds. But the way that we do that is by seeking Christ. Uh, we look at all the facets of the church um, that that are supposed to be making disciples and growing disciples and worshiping God. And we seek all those things to try to lead those well. So we're not just overseers hoping that it happens. We're also shepherds by getting down in the trenches and, and leading and directing those things as well. So we exercise oversight. We also teach. Um, and that's why we would do gospel-centered teaching on Sunday mornings here. The oversight's to be done in certain ways, as you can see there in the text. We're to, we're to do it willingly, as it says in verse 2. Uh, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. So we should want to do this. There shouldn't be an elder or pastor that half-heartedly wants to do this. We should also do it eagerly. That means not for shameful gain. We're not doing this for money. Uh, we should do it as a good example. We're not doing it as a domineering force. And, and the, instead, we are loving the people that are, if you will, as it says in verse 3, in our charge. And as it says in verses 5 and 6, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Um, humble yourselves. So while that's mo mainly a charge to those who are younger, that's also, I think, uh, an important reality for those, that are, for those that are elders. They need to do it with humility. So um, those that are elders, this is what it, what it looks like for us to elder we should do it willingly, eagerly, as a good example, and hu with humility. And this, this subjection or this submissiveness that you should have to us would look like this. So as it says, to humble yourselves with, in humility towards us, if you're wanting to know what that looks like, in Hebrews, um, it gives you uh, an understanding of what that would look like for you. So in Hebrews chapter 13, at verse 17, if you're wanting to know, what's my responsibility as a congregation to rightfully submit myself to the pastors or rightfully subjugate, if you will, myself, not in a, not in a pejorative or demeaning sense, but in, in a biblical sense to submit yourselves to the pastors of the church. In verse 17 of Hebrews 13, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. So your job is to obey them, obey the leaders, submit to us, 
as long as what we're leading and, and, and uh, asking you to do is in line with scriptures, you shouldn't have a reason to not do this. You should joyfully want to do this. Uh, just as children should joyfully want to follow their parents' lead because their parents would have their best interests. Um, if Jack and I and Joe are, Lord willing, seeking the scriptures and wanting to lead this church the way that Jesus, you should have no uh, problems wanting to obey the things that we say, submitting to the things, and we don't have that problem thus far because here's why. We are keeping watch over your souls. And this is a haunting next line for Jack and me and, and Joe. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Therefore, the way that I pastor, the way that I elder, the way that Jack pastors and elders, the way that Joe will pastor an elder, um, there will be one day where we stand before the living God and will give an account to the way that we led you. And so that's a scary thing for me. And so therefore, I want to do it the way that the Lord would ask, the way that the Lord has prescribed for me. Continue in verse 17, talking back to you. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So you want to follow our lead that's in line with Scripture in such a way that gives us joy as we do it, not groaning to us because it doesn't give you any advantage for us to have to lead that way. Now, <clears throat> closing challenges are this. So we've, we've gone through many questions here. We've asked, what is an elder? What do elders do? Who are the elders? What's required of an elder? And how do they actually do the work of overseeing and shepherding? So here's some, some closing challenges I want to uh, charge you with. These 21 qualifications that we looked at uh, for pastors, I want you to look at those, if you will, sometime this week, uh, maybe even in your community groups. <coughs> and I want you to think of yourselves, uh, think to yourselves, what are some of these things that I can grow in? There's, there's a big list in, from 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 of, of things that, that could challenge all of us. How can I grow in applying those particular things to my life? Um, Jack and I and Joe should look at those things and desire to continually live out those qualifications in our life. The other staff here at the church, um, what, whatever position they're in, they, all show, they also, whether they are appointed to elder or not, should look at those things and desire to have those, those things happening in their life. It's important that those things are continually sought after so that we're not just trying to meet qualifications in order to be in the office of, 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 a, of a church, but also that we're Christians living out holiness the way that God would desire. Um, so for those of you that are uh, past pr prospective elders or pastors in the church, for those of you that are staff in the church, for those of you that are just congregants, if you will, and I don't mean to say just, for those of you that are congregants, all of us should look at those things and try to seek those things out and live them in our life. We should seek those character characteristics because we're all going through sanctification. That's the first kind of first closing challenge. The second one is this. Um, when I read 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, I said, men, every one of you should aspire to the office of elder. And then I listed all these things. So here's what I want you to do. Every man in this church, whether you are married yet or have kids yet, or you are both and you're empty nesters, um, I want you to read those verses and I want you to aspire to the office of elder. You may never become one, but nevertheless, it is a good endeavor for your soul to aspire to these things, to live out these things so that Jack, me, Joe, Jesus would, 
would oppress upon our heart, hey, you need to take note of this guy. This guy would make an incredible pastor of the church. And you, you would do well to have him as part of the elder body to lead and love this church well on mission and to care for their souls. And so everybody that's a man, I want you to aspire. So the first application or challenge is that as we look at those challenges, every single one of us should want to live out what we saw in 1 Timothy 3. The second challenge is every man under 1 Timothy 1. I want you to aspire to live that kind of life. The third challenge is this, which we saw in Hebrews 13, 17. All congregation. Some of you, this is easy. Submitting to leadership has never been a problem. Um, and some of you, this is difficult. Submitting to leadership is, has always been a problem. Um, I want you to think about Hebrews 13, 17 and what it's asking you to do. Now, thus far, we have not experienced any kind of problem, um, but we don't want to. We, we want to have a church that wants to live out Hebrews 13, 17 well. So the third challenge is this. Um, continually submit to the leadership. Um, as long as we are leading in accordance with the scriptures and we are loving Christ with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, um, and we're not asking the church to do anything crazy or immoral, we would ask for you to try your best to, to honor God by submitting to the leadership of the church. The fourth challenge, and this is the last one, um, is <clears throat> we would ask that you would pray for the elders and any future elders that might come be a part of the church. It's a major blessing for us. And I get notes and I get emails and I get texts here and there from you all the time saying, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that the Lord will equip you. And I get, I get texts multiple times throughout the week or even emails or notes. And I, and I say, thank you. And please continue uh, to be fervent and faithful in prayer for me and Jack and for Joe. Uh, we are absolutely dependent upon the prayers in order to be able to do this. I don't want to ever try to pastor elder a church without the prayers of our church, um, asking Jesus to help us lead. I, I want to lead well. I want to honor Christ well. And so the fourth one is, we want to honor Christ well. The fourth one is, please continually pray that the Lord would direct us. And you can pray this. If we are not living a life of holiness, if we are living in private sin, that the Lord would make that public and the Lord would remove us from leadership. You, you don't want a man that is not living a life honoring to Christ leading this church. And I, I, I absolutely want you to pray something that strong. Remove him from leadership if he is not honoring you with his life. But please pray for us. We are, we are absolutely dependent upon that. Now I'm going to, uh, I'm going to close in prayer and then we're going to actually install Joe as an elder. So um, as I pray, Jack will come up and lead the next portion of this. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy. I thank you so much for Joe uh, and that you have, you have equipped him, you have led him, you have loved him well, you have revealed yourself to him that he has believed in the gospel and trusted in you and that he has led his family well and that he has, <clears throat> with all the Holy Spirit's power, uh, aspired to the office of elder. And as Jack and I have met with him up multiple times for many, many hours, we do feel uh, that Joe is equipped to be an elder and is led to be a pastor elder here at Remedy, and we thank you for that. And we ask now, that God, that you would 
be with us during this time and that you would bless this time. And not just that, but that you would bless him as an elder, that he would be a great pastor for Remedy Church. We pray that if anybody here doesn't know Christ, that they'll come to know Christ even during a, a service and sermon on eldership. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.